jumper on the way. Good! Tyus Battle nails the three! Dungey leaps and into the end zone for Dungey. A touchdown! If that's not on every highlight show tonight, then I, I don't know who's watching. Howard for the oh! Soaring through the air! High-flying Slovakian! Screen pass here, he'll get one. And he stays alive and he's got room to the 10. One man to beat, he'll do it. Touchdown, Syracuse! And for Syracuse, party time. The upset, pulled by the Orange. They defeat Clemson 27 to 24. The penetration, step back. Oh, a pressure bucket for Tyus Battle. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Powered by Driver's Village and Hummel's Office Plus. Good afternoon, everyone. Glad to have you with us alongside Seth Goldberg. I'm Stephen Fonte. It's a Friday edition of Orange Nation as we lead you into the weekend. 315-437-7644 is the number. If you'd like to get involved, you can also text us on the text line. That's 315-288-0644. Going to talk a lot of SU football today as the Orange Get set to host UConn inside the Carrier Dome tomorrow. UConn statistically the worst defensive team in the country. The Orange, of course, looking to move to 4-0 and for the first time since 1991. We will talk some fantasy football in hour number two. Our good friend Steve Andrus from 4for4.com will be on at 1.30 to help us fill out our week three lineup. Uh, and we begin the show today, I, I think we have to, Seth, with some NFL and, and your boy Baker Mayfield getting his first taste oh, I loved it. of regular season action uh, last night. And uh, and boy, did he look good. He looked so good. I am... Uh... I I was like shedding 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 nearly shedding a tear, uh, thinking about what could have been if he had fallen to number two and the Giants took him and and he was running around the Meadowlands doing that for the next uh, fifteen years. That would have been nice. Obviously, he didn't get there, so there was no decision to be made. But I thought Baker looked really good. I thought Baker looked exactly like he did at Oklahoma. And if you watched him at Oklahoma you probably thought, hey, that guy's pretty good. And I thought that's exactly what he looked like last night in the second half. Your Giants, of course, were picking number two overall. You were looking at the two quarterbacks that you had a shot at. I know. Right? You thought you might have a shot <laughs> at Baker. It, you were going to have a shot at one of them, or both of them, and you had a shot at Sam Darnold, and we know how that turned out. A Darnold was not good last night. But we're going to see this with rookies. Like I don't expect Baker Mayfield... To go out in ten days from now and and light it up and throw for you know three hundred yards and a couple of touchdowns like that's that's what rookies are going to do they're going to be know, up and down I don't know Steve he might not even play did you hear Hugh Jackson after the game he's got to go I watch did the hear, tape I did hear Hugh Jackson um, and I normally I hate stuff like that I hate the coach speak last night and I and I heard uh, you know Golick and Wingo talk about this a little bit this morning and I think they were right on they said that was out of respect to Tyrod and I think that it was like you don't want to inform your starting quarterback that he lost his job like that right why because like man to man he you I mean he's a captain on this team like you go to him and you say yeah but but Listen. doesn't but don't you think Tyrod knows the deal here like Tyrod knows Tyrod knows and, and he's young enough that it's possible that he could go be a quarterback somewhere for for seven years right Tyrod knows he's not going to be the Browns quarterback for five, six, seven years. He knows that at the most he had a year. So, like, I, I think. And he gets this... hurt and his season is over after two weeks? Yeah. I mean, he knows that. I'm sure right. he's bracing for that. There's a right way and a wrong way to handle it. You don't see that? I you, mean, don't, you don't think the head coach. 
I understand is what you're obligated saying. to have a face-to-face conversation with the team's captain and say, I, no, I listen, get, Tyron, I get that, but I, tough deal here. You got hurt. Baker came in. He was awesome. You know, he gives us the best chance to win. You know, it's, 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 it's you know, I realize it's only week three, but, you know, keep preparing and, you know, your, your time might come again. But right now we got to go with the hot hand. No, I, I get that and I understand that. But I think that also in this kind of a situation, like it's the same thing with Josh McCown, right? I mean, Josh McCown was sitting there in the preseason. He was a guy who probably could have been a captain of the Jets, you know, had he won the, the, the job. But he's sitting there in the preseason. He went to the Jets and said, hey, I'll be ready. Don't worry about it. Don't give me any reps in the preseason. And Sam Darnold went out there and crushed it. You think he didn't know right away from the from the minute that Sam Darnold looked good that he was not going to be the starting quarterback? Like it's it to me they're very similar situations. Like Sam, Josh uh, Josh McCown knew exactly what he was getting into once the Jets drafted Sam Darnold. Tyrod Taylor knew exactly what he was getting into ex- immediately when they when the Browns drafted their quarterback when they got Baker Mayfield. He knew. At most, I have a year, and I probably have less. And what did Todd Bowles say all along during training camp? Not ready to name a starter. We're going to continue to let this competition play itself out. We like our options, so on and so forth. And then he had the conversation with the quarterbacks, and then he made an announcement. Sam Darnold didn't learn he was the starter in a press conference, right? Josh McCown didn't learn that he was the backup in a press conference. Teddy Bridgewater didn't learn that he was traded in a press conference. Right. They were all told ahead of time. And that's how he so they'll meet, has so to they'll handle meet it. That's how af- Hugh Jackson so has to handle it. they'll meet this afternoon and they'll make that decision. Yeah, Baker Mayfield should be the starter. He should. Uh, but then again, Hugh Jackson has now won two games in two-plus seasons, so who knows? The Browns, Baker, the Browns could be 3-0 right well, now. Well, I was going to say, I know that the the easy and the cliche look at it and the, you know, the, the easy look at this is, well, if they had decent kicking, right? Like if, if they had a league average kicker, they're 3-0. What about if Baker played, right? Like what? If, what if you? I just, don't think you can say you, that. But I'm, but I'm just curious. What does it look like if you just played Baker Mayfield the first two weeks of the season? And I know Tyrod played well in those two games, well enough to win, certainly. But like, what do the Bills look like if they had just played the better quarterback from the start? You just said Bills. You meant Browns. Bra- whatever. I had Bills on my mind too. It's Tyrod Taylor. It's a quarterback issue. No, it's, it's funny. I it's was, the same I was going to say, you know, you can't look at that Ravens game and say, well, if Nate Peterman didn't start, maybe the Bills win. No, the Bills were not winning that game. Uh, I don't know if you could say, you know, if Baker Mayfield started, you know, would they be 3-0? and um, I don't think that that's, that's a fair statement. No, but if he they was had good last kicking, night, they would have. Yeah, if he was good last night, do I expect him to play like that? You know, every week during his rookie season? No. I mean, rookies are going to be up and down. We saw Sam Darnold come back down to earth really the last two weeks, but last night in particular, he did not look look good. good. Um, And, you know, the the Jets lost that game. I I told you the Browns were not in the bottom five. I warned you, don't put the Browns in your bottom five. I picked them to win yesterday on the show. I picked them to win when Tommy asked. We did a a fact or fiction segment, and he said, fact or fiction, the the coolers are getting unlocked tonight. I said, fact, absolutely. They're they're going to win. It it seemed like didn't it seem like the perfect storm? Like they were playing. Uh, they were, they were the Browns. They were at home. They were playing on a short week, and the team that they were playing on the short week is one of the few that over the last ten years have have matched the Browns. Right? They're one of the few teams in the league that have been on that same Brownsy kind of level and run. Everything just lined up perfectly for them to get the win last night. Yeah, I fully expected the the Browns to win as well. Um, you know, Jets got off to a good start. They scored a couple of touchdowns uh, on the ground, and you know, then Baker Mayfield came in, and that game 
changed in an instant. And I do wonder if Hugh Jackson would have made the change anyway because the Browns were unable to move the ball with Tyrod at quarterback. Tyrod didn't look good. It was it was an ugly first half for the Browns. And you know you heard the fans chanting for you know for Baker, you know Baker, Baker. They wanted him. They wanted to see him. And then Tyrod leaves with injury, and Hugh Jackson had no choice. I'm curious if coming out of the half, if he makes the change anyway. You know, I was I was flipping back and forth between the football game and the Yankee game, so I, I didn't hear these comments, but I saw them on Twitter that Joe Buck and Troy Aikman were kind of hinting at, like, oh, maybe we might see be ba- time. Baker yeah. tonight. It they might were. be time. They were. And and to me, just knowing how this works, and and I'm not I'm not saying this is exactly, you know, what happened. To me, as somebody who knows how this process works, that screams to me that they were in their production meeting with Hugh Jackson, and Hugh Jackson said something to them, right? Like, and, and I know that you know you know these meetings happen. I think most fans know these meetings happen before games. Announcers get to sit down with a coach, with players, with what the GM probably. To me, that screamed that when they met with Hugh Jackson yesterday uh, on Wednesday or yesterday before the game. He was kind of like, "Hey, you you might see something different tonight, right? Like you you may see him tonight. Like we we might have to kickstart things." I, I don't think typically announcers don't do that unless they know something, right? And so once you started to hear that, I think it was a pretty good sign that he was going to get into the game. Um, as crazy as that might sound, like once you heard the announcer start saying, "Like, hey, maybe it's time to go to Baker Mayfield." That was kind of when I was like, oh, he might really play tonight. And then, of course, Tyrod gets hurt, and it doesn't matter. Of course he has to go in. But once you started hearing that kind of guessing and conjecture, I, I thought it was a pretty good bet. And you know what? The the Browns helped him out in the process. They they helped make Baker Mayfield look good. His first drive was a short field. The defense had pinned them back, and you know the Jets punted out to about midfield. It was a, a short field. They kick a field goal. The next scoring drive that they had was coming off that fumble recovery. They, you know, they got the ball inside the ten or whatever it was, and how, short field. And how about that, by the way? Remember draft night? Remember they went and they took Baker Mayfield and they took Denzel Ward fourth, and they got crushed. I mean, they got destroyed for those two picks, right? People didn't like Baker. They didn't think he was the best quarterback in the class. They certainly didn't think he should go first overall. And people didn't like Denzel Ward as the fourth overall pick. Baker Mayfield comes out last night, makes an impact, and that's probably the reason why they win. And Denzel Ward has that fumble and return down inside the 10-yard line. Yeah, They both made huge impacts on that game. As long as we were talking about you know draft night and and moves that that people don't like. A lot of people were upset. A lot of Bills fans were upset that you know they they let Tyrod get away for just a third round draft pick. I mean, does that does that deal look bad now if you're a Bills fan? I mean, you got your quarterback, and again, I, I realize we don't know if Josh Allen is truly the answer. The Bills think he's the answer, but you got rid of you know is, is Tyrod a starter in this league? I know we joked about this last year. Where I said that he's you know he's a below average starting quarterback. I firmly believe that. I don't know if he's a starter in this league or not. You I'm got not a, sure. You got a third round draft pick in exchange for potentially a, a backup QB the, in the, the NFL. Jet- the Jets got a third for Teddy Bridgewater. I'd rather have Teddy Bridgewater. That's my point. Like, he's got a whole lot more value than Tyrod does. That's my point. So, for the Bills fans that were upset that they got only a third, you know, or, or that they, you know, they traded him away and you got a third round only, draft pick, was it right. worth, you know, was it worth trading him away? I, I mean, yes. again, in retrospect, yes. Like, they had decided he's not the quarterback for this franchise. You got a third round pick, which I think is pretty good for, you know, a backup QB in this league, and and that's what I think Tyrod Ultim- Taylor is. And and I I agree with you. Ultimately, he is a backup quarterback, and and that that is what the Bills 
conundrum was last year, right? Wasn't isn't that what the what the the back and forth was? Isn't that what the problem was? Where they were just like, we've got this guy, and like, yeah, I guess he could play, but like, we don't really want him, right? Like we 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 think that that fourth round pick we took out of fifth round pick we took out of Pittsburgh, who wasn't great in college, might be better right now, like that. Doesn't that tell you what they thought of Tyrod Taylor? That they that they went to Nathan Peterman and and without putting the name on it, without knowing you know what what would end up happening, fifth round pick who didn't dominate at Pittsburgh, and they thought as a rookie he would he would be a better alternative. Like I think that says what they thought of him last season. I said it at the time when they benched Tyrod and put Nate Peterman in there against the Chargers as the starter, I said, Tyrod's not coming back next year. Like they, no. They're not bringing him back as their starting quarterback. They had made the decision then that he was not, obviously, the long-term answer. They wanted to see what they had in Nate Peterman. Now, it didn't go well, obviously. They went back to Tyrod, and they should have because they were in the playoff hunt. They got to the playoffs. Great. They ended the drought. But then they part ways with Tyrod because they determined he wasn't the answer. They said, all right, it was one bad game for Peterman. Let's give him another shot. They did. He clearly won the job in the preseason. So I'm fine that they started him. And then he was a disaster again against the Ravens. So, So Peterman... You know, got two shots at it. Now it's Josh Allen's team as well. It should be right. And ultimately, ultimately, the biggest problem surrounding Tyrod Taylor and the and the thing where this all went wrong for Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott is that Tyrod Taylor got the Bills to the playoffs. Right. That's that's the thing that messed all of this up. Because if they just go seven and nine again. Then you get rid of Tyrod Taylor and no one cares. Right? Like no one <laughs> but, cares. You no know one would have cared if you got Hang rid of him a after a seven and nine season. Hang on a second though. If they had just gone seven and nine, are they getting a third round draft pick in exchange for him? Probably not. Probably not. Probably so his, not. his stock rose, his value rose because right, but, they made the playoffs. But you understand my point, right? Yeah. They finally make the playoffs. It's the You're first time. You're talking from before. the the Bills fan perspective. Yes, they wouldn't have I mean. cared. They, they that was the biggest problem. That Tyrod Taylor led them to the playoffs. It was the first time in forever that they had finally made it, and everybody wanted to keep the guy around who had done it because they finally had somebody who did it. Even though he wasn't a good option, even though he wasn't a good option at the position. They were like, hey, this guy did something that hasn't been done since eight in, in 18 years. This hasn't been done since the millennium. Like, we we need to keep this guy. And, like, you didn't. You, you had to get rid of him because anybody else was a better option. And, um, like, I think the Bills ultimately made the right choice. I think that's proven out with what's happening in Cleveland. And with the Browns, <laughs> you got to start Baker Mayfield. Yeah, the, just, the Browns have, have to start to. Baker Mayfield. I think the Bills have decided that they need to start Josh Allen, and there are going to be a lot of growing pains this year in Buffalo. Less growing pains in Cleveland because Baker Mayfield is more ready to play yeah, right now. Is. Sam Darnold is more ready to play right now. Josh Allen is not necessarily ready to play right now, but the other option, Nate Peterman, has shown that he's just not a good quarterback in the NFL, and it's Josh Allen's team, and if you're going to take your lumps, you might as well do it with your rookie quarterback, which is what you've been saying all along. You know, I know uh, I know. one of the things you hated about Baker was the planting the flag, yeah. and, and he did that, keep in mind, in Columbus, Ohio, yes. in the horseshoe. Did you see Lincoln Riley's tweet after the game last night? I did not. Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma head coach, uh, was also Baker's offensive coordinator prior to being the head coach last year. Tweeted out, said, I think a lot of those guys in Ohio are going to forgive Baker for planting the flag now. <laughs> that's that's a fair point. That's a fair point. I will say this, okay, in regards to Baker. 
his post-game press conference last night, I thought he handled himself very well. And he was asked about Tyrod and asked about you know whether or not he felt like he took the job and so on and so forth. And, and he handled it like a pro. And, you know, he said, you never like to take over a job like that. You hope Tyrod's okay. He's meant so much to me in my development. You know, I, I hope he's fine. This is Tyrod's team. He he's says the captain. all the right things. I just, he says all the right things. And when could we say that in Oklahoma? We could not. Okay. Right. Because he very rarely said the right thing. He very rarely did the right thing. So... While there's a lot that I don't like about him, I do understand that kids can be immature and that maybe they can grow up. And so maybe last night, maybe, was a sign that Baker Mayfield is starting to grow up a little bit and mature. And if that's the case, then God bless him, and that, and that's great. Because I thought he handled the postgame press conference very well. One of the things I don't like about him or didn't like about him at Oklahoma is that he very rarely said the right thing, did the right thing. Last night, he did both. I, uh, I hope somebody saved an entire one of those fridges for him. He gets he gets at a least fridge. one like can right. Yeah, I mean, I, he, I mean, I think he gets a fridge. He should get something. Yes, out of that whole deal. Absolutely, he deserves it. Three one five four three seven seventy six forty four, or you can text us on the text line three one five two eight eight zero six four four. Got to take our first time out. We'll talk some Q's football on the other side. Keep it here. Orange Nation rolls on right after this on ESPN Radio. Live from Armory Square, this is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Steven Seth back with you on a Friday edition of Orange Nation. 315-437-7644 is the number. If you'd like to get involved, we're brought to you in part by the Bill Rapp Superstore at the corner of Thompson and Burnett in Syracuse or online at BillRapp.com. To the phone lines we go. Steven North Syracuse kicking us off on the show today. Hey, Steve. Yeah, I, I just have a couple of quick opinions. Uh, one, uh, I think that the point where Taylor's career as a starting quarterback for the Browns should have ended was when he underthrew the long pass uh, with Callaway uh, breaking open and uh, uh, the defender was able to tip the ball away and then Taylor was motioning down to Callaway up towards him implying that Callaway should have come back and and fought for the ball more to make up for the fact that he didn't throw it far enough. That, to me, was the, the tipping point moment when uh, it was obviously time to begin the, the Baker-Makefield era. And I also think that if Hugh Jackson uh, continues to go with Taylor, because he's his guy, with Hugh Jackson's record, I think the end of the Hugh Jackson era will be upon us as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that that's fair to wonder, right? I, I mean, I think it's fair to... Uh, ask questions about Hugh Jackson and his coaching tenure. Uh, he's won two games in two plus years, and and I know that they were kind of sort of tanking. You still shouldn't be able to do that, right? You you still shouldn't be able to go one in fifteen and then zero in sixteen and keep your job. Uh, you just you shouldn't. And yeah, like you got to ask questions about his job. <laughs> you just do. I mean, the tie rod injury did him a favor last it night. It really did because, because he wasn't going to make that he move. He was, and I and I don't know. I don't know if he would have made the move or not. It seemed like it was getting to be that time. And as you mentioned, you know, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman—they're talking about it. When are we going to see Baker Mayfield? And it was getting to be late in the first half. And my guess is he wouldn't have made a change late in the first half. If anything, he probably would have made the change coming out of the locker room. In my opinion, I don't know if he would have pulled the trigger though. And so Tyrod getting hurt did him a favor and. 
you know, maybe he pulls the trigger when it's too late. Maybe they, you know, they lose again, and it was a very winnable game against the Jets. Um, this changes the whole complexion of the season. It really, not, not to overstate this, but it does. I mean, instead of being 0-2-1 with three games that you could have, should have won, you're now 1-1-1, and and you found your quarterback. You know there's one team that's gone 1-1-1 and to start the season? And uh, they... They were one of those Steelers teams in the seventies. Oh, is that right? They uh they won a Super Bowl. I don't think that's happening this year. Just saying. That's beside the point, though. Just saying. If you're looking for historical trends, teams that start one, one, and one win the Super Bowl one hundred percent of the time. I mean, you talk about though the the storylines centered around the Browns yes. if they lose that game opposed to win that game. I mean, it does it changes the whole complexion, at least this first part of the season. Oh, and, certainly. You know, the questions being asked to Hugh Jackson are completely different now than they would have been had he waited a little bit too long to go to Tyrod last night. They lose that game, and, you know, then they're 0 2 and 1. They didn't win any of the three games that they very easily could have won. Right. And, and they were in position. If, what they did the first two weeks would have made it worse had they, had they lost yes, last night, right. is, is what you're saying. Because they were in position to go win those first two games. Now, if they had gotten blown out in the first two games and then lost last night, you're like, yeah, whatever. Like, they're 0-3, they're the Browns. That's what's supposed to happen. Because if you keep losing close games, you know, yeah, it comes down to, well, if we had a, a functional kicker, it but also comes down it to also coaching. comes down to coaching, right? right. You, you, you lose close games, it comes down to what? Attention to detail, it comes down to a play here or there, it comes down to coaching. Right. And so Hugh Jackson is answering different questions if they lose that game, obviously. And maybe the seat gets a little hotter for Hugh Jackson if they lose that game and if he waits a little bit too long to go to Baker Mayfield. But that injury did him a favor. The, the seat should already be on fire. It's not, though. I don't understand. This is the most mind blow. I don't know how he has a job. I don't know how he has a head coaching job. I, ju- I just don't. <laughs> I don't get it. Imagine imagine being as bad at your job that you could possibly be and like still holding the job. Right? Because that's what Hugh Jackson is doing. He's like just one half step better than being the worst coach ever. Well, he probably is the worst coach ever. I think he's the worst coach ever. That's a like bold rec- statement. Record-wise. Oh, right? well. Record-wise, these are the... Win percentage-wise? Yeah, yeah, this has to be the worst ever. And he's managed to hold on to his job. He's it's hard one, to argue with that. He's won two of 35 games. Like, that's not a difficult argument to win. It's hard to argue with that. I said before the break that we were going to come back talk some SU football. You know what else? We did not do that. You know who else is really bad at his job? Whoever the UConn defensive coordinator is now under Randy Etzel. Well, here's the thing about UConn, and I I don't know how much you've talked about it. Well, we didn't have a show Wednesday, but I don't know how much you talked about yesterday while I was out. But this team is extremely young, and Dino Babers made it a point to say this at his press conference on Monday. He said, there are different ways to rebuild. And Dino said, when I came here... You know, I tried to use what we had, and I tried to piece it together to win some football games. He said that is not what Randy Edsel is doing. Randy Edsel is just ripping up the you know the carpet and knocking down the walls, and yep. I'm just going to build from the ground up. I'm going to go with my freshmen. And you look at who they're starting on defense. They're starting four true freshmen. They're starting potentially one guy who has a junior next to his name, junior or senior. Everybody else is freshmen and sophomores, and that one guy is named a co-starter. And his backup is a true freshman. So if Randy, Et- Randy Etzel may start five true freshmen on defense tomorrow and no juniors or seniors. It's unbelievable. It really is. And and I know we talked about this with Eric Dobratz yesterday. Um, 
But but what happened between when Randy Etzel left and he came back? Like just what happened there? Because they were they were at the top of the world, right? They they had gotten to the the top of what they could possibly be. They they were winning the Big East. They went to a Fiesta Bowl. They they were on the top of the world. And in theory, in theory, when conference realignment happened, you should have been able to translate that success into something in the AAC. Right? The AAC is not that much better or different of a football conference than the Big East was. Like you should have been able to translate that into something. But it just all went wrong. And Paul Pasqualoni went and struggled there. And Bob Diaco went and was awful there. And it and it just it led to this ditch that they fell into. And not getting into the ACC. I mean, that that's the answer. You said well, what yes. happened? I mean, you look at the UConn basketball program. It's the same thing. Like, they, they didn't make it into the ACC. And, and I realize UConn basketball is not where UConn football is right now. But... Why well, are they? Why are they going down? Why are they trending in a downward direction? Because they're not in a major conference, and that killed recruiting. And they went from being in the Big East to this makeshift conference of you know just a bunch of teams thrown together, and kids want to go play Power Five football. But you can be relatively successful in I think more so in football than in basketball in one of these Group of Five conferences. I mean that much has been proven, right? Like. You can. You think I mean, that it's I mean, easier I mean, to be more, more successful in football than basketball? At, I mean, I look at. I know that sound. That's weird because Wichita State. That's weird Butler. because. Well, but but every year there's a UCF. There's a there's a Western Michigan. Yeah, because they don't play Boise, anybody. I mean, but they and Wichita State does. Wichita uh, State plays nobody all year. But Wichita State, I mean, they can they go in the tournament and beat people? Can VCU go in the tournament and beat people? Butler, like, we've seen it happen. I mean, you saw Loyola Chicago make a right. run to the Final Four. I mean, you know, UConn football is not making a run to the college football playoff. No, no but I, I guess my point is it is possible to be relatively successful, I, I guess in both. It's possible to be relatively successful. There's a ceiling on it, the same way there was a ceiling on being a Big East football team. But there's a way to be relatively successful. Uh, well, the ceiling's actually probably similar to the to the Big East. Yeah. Right? Like, if, if you were the best team in the old Big East, you weren't making the, the BCS championship. You know, if you're the best team in the AAC now, you're not making the, the college football playoff. But you can still get a really nice bowl game. And UConn, even though they fell out of the, the Big East in both football and basketball, they didn't sustain the football momentum. Like, I, I see it being easier to fall off in basketball than it is in football. In that regard, because the ceiling is relatively the same in football in the two leagues. The, the ceiling in basketball to me seems to be a lot higher in a, in a former Big East than in the AAC for basketball, if that makes sense. I understand what you're saying. That's what happened, though. I mean, they, they didn't yes. get into a big-time conference, and recruiting fell off, and they started to lose games, and they obviously lost Randy Edsel. Uh, after they you know made it to the height of where they you know they made they plateaued like that was right. the the height of where they could be they lose Randy Edsel and things went downhill for can, a number of reasons can, can you believe by the way they plateaued their plateau was what ten wins yeah. that year and getting to the Fiesta Bowl when Syracuse plateaued in the Big East at at the end right when they when they reached the point where it was like this is as good as you can possibly do here in the Big East they got eight wins and went to the Pinstripe Bowl and that was as good as they possibly could do. They had a share of the conference. They went to a bowl game, won eight games. That was it. And everybody gives Dr. Gross a hard time, but he did get this uh, university into the ACC, or at least 
he helped him uh, to do that. Go to the phone lines now. Mark in Syracuse next up on Orange Nation. Hey, Mark. Hey, guys. Good afternoon. Uh, I went up to the Florida State game, only knowing a couple of players for Syracuse. Just wanted to watch the game with an open mind and see what stood out. And I have to compliment the defensive line of Syracuse for really, uh, I think, uh, setting the tone and, and constantly collapsing the pocket. I think they were only credited for four sacks, but the hurries, tips, pressures, whatever you want to call it, they they really disrupted the game, I felt, and were the difference. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. And that, that's a great observation, Mark. And we said going in that that was going to be a key, right? Florida State's weakness was the offensive line, and we weren't sure if SU's defensive line could take advantage of that weakness or not. And they did, and then some. And they, you know, they had the four sacks, but you look at DeAndre Francois, who was 50% passing on the day, 18 for 36. Sometimes that's, you know, well, your secondary was great, or the quarterback just, you know, wasn't accurate. The 18 for 36, by and large, was he was under pressure all day long. He had to right. throw it before he was ready. He had to make quick decisions. He had to go places he didn't want to go. The, the 18 for 36 was because of the D line. And when he wasn't under pressure, he thought he was under pressure. Right, like I think that's a. You big, get happy feet when right. people are around you constantly. Sure, right. that's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. I think that was a big factor in some of those errant passes. Even when like he might have had a clean pocket, he always had that feeling of someone's going to come hit me, and you can't sit back and be comfortable if you've got that feeling. And uh, Alton Robinson, Kendall Coleman, Chris Slayton, uh, the three of them specifically did a great job of keeping DeAndre Francois uncomfortable. But now they've got to keep doing that. Right, because they didn't do it week one against Western Michigan. They didn't really do it week two against Wagner. They've got to keep that up this week. Like that that's one of the things I'm looking for. Can they keep doing that? Because if you can keep doing that and your defense can keep playing that way, you're a really dangerous team moving forward. You know, maybe not next week at Clemson because it's Clemson and, and the athletes and the players they have, but after that, you can be really dangerous. 315-437-7644. We're going to talk Q's football the rest of this first hour. Give us a call. We're back after this on ESPN Radio. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Stephen Seth back with you on a Friday edition of Orange Nation. We're brought to you in part by Onondaga Community College's Workforce Development Program. Learn the skills local employers need in just two to eight months. For more information, Go to sunyocc.edu backslash workforce. Phone lines are open until 1.30 at 315-437-7644. We'll be joined at 1.30 by our good friend Steve Andrus from 444.com as we talk some fantasy football. But we continue the SU football talk. And in the last segment, Seth, we we talked about the fact that, that last week our concern, at least my concern, and I think you shared in that concern, going into the Florida State game, was can Syracuse take advantage of Florida State's weakness? And FSU's weakness, of course, was the offensive line. And we weren't sure if the defensive line of SU could take advantage of that weakness or not. And they did. Going into tomorrow, the line is, what, 27 and a half, 28 points, whatever it is. I feel pretty confident that Syracuse is going to be able to, and we'll make our predictions later in the show, I feel pretty good about Syracuse covering that because we know what UConn's Weakness is. Right. It's defense. And we know that this offense can take advantage of that. Can I ask you a question along those lines that was asked to me yesterday? Caller yeah. caller called in and said, Do you think that um do you think Syracuse will cover or will they be looking ahead to Clemson too much and that'll trip them up? I think Syracuse is gonna cover. I said I just said yes. I just said both. You like think I, they're looking ahead like to Clemson? I, like I th- 
I think that there is the possibility that they could be looking ahead to sure. Clemson and still cover because yeah. I think UConn's that bad. Yeah, I think Syracuse is going to put up plenty of points tomorrow. Um, I don't think that's going to be the problem. Is now, my point. UConn put up 56 last week against Rhode Island, FCS team. They do have experience on offense. We talked about all the inexperience they have on defense. They do have some inexperience or some experience rather on offense. I mean, the quarterback's a senior. They've got a lot of juniors and seniors on that side of the ball. Will UConn be able to score tomorrow? UConn's probably going to be able to score a little bit tomorrow. Um, but I think Syracuse is going to be able to score a lot. Um, I didn't listen to the whole show yesterday. I did hear a part of it. And I, I heard you bring up Eric Dungy, and you said that you know tomorrow you want to see Eric Dungy go out and and have a big game because the you know the offense struggled with him running the show uh, last Saturday. I'll say this in regard to that: um, if they punch in that early possession, I mean their longest drive of the day was was that uh, the one that gets stopped at for, uh, first and goal. Right, and they, they end up kicking a field goal. It was a 76-yard drive. The next drive after that was a 49-yard drive, and you know Dungy got sacked, and then on third down, they didn't pick up the first down. They tried a field goal. They miss it. So you're talking, it could be 10 nothing there. He had the long pass to Jamal Custis, which should have been a touchdown. Absolutely. That should be 17 nothing. And then they had another possession where they were you know tripped up inside the red zone. I mean, it... They could have scored 17, 21, like whatever, whatever the case may be. And, and we talked, and then he, and we and talked then about hurt. that on Monday. Uh, right. I'm, I'm saying in regards to yesterday, though, you know, you said that they struggled. So, and, and I don't know if that's what you meant or not. I would take issue with they struggled with him. They struggled to score points. That's, they, that's the what I meant larger. Didn't struggle. That's what I meant larger point. Like, I, I want to see them put up points. I want to see them. I want to see points on the board with him leading the way because we because basically we didn't see that last week. That doesn't mean that he and I don't expect him to play the whole game. I don't expect him to, you know, hang 70 because I don't expect him to be in that long. But if he can put up points and and make you feel I don't want to say comfortable. I don't want to say uh I I don't want to say put faith in him because you have that already. But if if he could just make you feel like, hey, okay, th- this is like what we expect out of him, and like all is good, like heading into this uh, big ACC stretch, I, I think that you'll be feeling even better heading into the conference play. So I just wanted to make a point, and this isn't a point directed at you; it's just a point directed at you know the the faction of the fan base that says, well, Tommy DeVito looked great, and you know maybe he should be the starting quarterback. Is it possible? Number one, I would say, I, I don't know how much the offense really struggled with Dungy running the show. They struggled to score points, and I get that. Is it possible, though, that part of the reason they struggled to score points or maybe weren't as crisp as they were in the second half on offense, is it possible that the Florida State defense got tired? That the Florida State defense was out there constantly because DeAndre Francois on the offense couldn't move the ball? The Florida State defense got tired because it was 95 degrees on the field and it was suffocating possible. in there? And not only is it possible, but I would argue that that may be why. And that if Dungy was out there for the second half, we would have seen the same thing. So before everybody says, you know, DeVito should be the starting quarterback, just look at what he did in the second half against Florida State, I would keep that in mind. That, again, he is a redshirt freshman. Again, he doesn't have the experience. Dungy is your starter. And I would argue that, Number one, I don't think the offense really struggled when he was out there. They, they wasted some opportunities, but I don't think they struggled. And number two, I think part of the reason they had trouble scoring points is that the Florida State defense, made up of four- and five-star guys, was fresh, and they wore down as the, as the game went on for a variety of reasons. It was hot in there. They were on the field a lot, and SU executed and played well. You buy that? 
Sure, uh, absolutely. I, I think in the second half there are a number of reasons why Syracuse scored more. Uh, I, I think that maybe Tommy DeVito was a, a factor, but I, I think that the stuff you mentioned, I think wearing down Florida State's defense, the weather, uh, the heat, the humidity, I think the running game was a really big factor in that with Dante Strickland, Jarvie, and Howard, those two specifically beating up Florida's front. That goes back and to then, they were just Mo getting Neal, tired, too. Right, and then Mo Neal cutting yeah, through them. Like sure. I, I think that those three backs did a really good job of beating up the front, and that caused problems You know that, that had a ripple effect. But, yeah, I, I thought Syracuse's offense looked significantly better in the second half. That, I guess that's why I said I would like to see some points on the board uh, with Eric Dungy on the field because I, I think that it, it would just be a, a comfort factor, right? Not, not something you need to see, not something you are worried about, not something that you don't think can happen. But it would just make you feel better and remind you, like, oh, yeah, this is what the offense looks like. Hey, yeah, we, you, you know, maybe they struggled in the first half last week, but this is what the offense looks like. We're good to go. Let's, let's get rolling into ACC Yeah, and, and that's fine. I just I look at the opener, and he scored on the first nine drives he was out there. And against Wagner, they put up 62 points. Uh, the offense is fine. They, they wasted some opportunities against an athletic defense, and you can't do that against the better teams. UConn's not a better team. I'm not saying go out and waste opportunities tomorrow. I want to see them score as well and and and. And check and that box. And that's part of it also. Uh, UConn's not good. So Take do, advantage. Right. do what you should do against UConn. Do what you should do against this team. Do what you should do against this defense that has allowed 2,020 yards through three games. That allowed 550 yards to an FCS team in Rhode Island last weekend. And that averages nearly 10 yards per play allowed. Nearly 10 yards per play that's U incredible. UConn is giving up, on average, through three games, 55.7 points and 673 yards per game. That includes a game against an FCS team. Dead last in the country in both categories, by the way. That includes a game against an FCS team. The FCS team did not bring those numbers down all that much. And I don't think Syracuse bring those numbers down tomorrow. I got news for you. 70? I th again, I think some of it depends. We talked about this with the Wagner game. Some of it depends on when they decide to go to the backups because Clemson is next, and you want to get your work in. I look at this game much like the Wagner game. You want to get your work in with the starters. You want to build a big lead. You want to score your points. You want the reserves to go in, get some valuable experience, and you want to get out healthy. That's what tomorrow is all about. Absolutely is. And you've got Clemson next. So are they going to score 70? My guess is no. I think they're going to... Do their thing in the first half, get a comfortable lead, and then kind of name the score in the second half, but be smart about it because they want to limit the game, limit the injuries, and, and move on to Clemson. And I, I so no, I don't think they're getting a seventy tomorrow. I think they could if I they think wanted to. Pretty close. If they wanted to try. I'll be there on the quad tomorrow predicting another sixty something point game. Probably. I, I might think, go I, I might go seventy just to because you you don't think I said they're not getting yeah. a seventy. I might just go 70 just because. They didn't even get to 70 against Wagner. You think they're going to do it they against stopped. UConn? They stopped. They stopped. That's but they're going to I think they're going to stop you again tomorrow. You think they're just going to stop at some point? I All think right. so. That's fair. At some point you take your foot off the gas and you get ready for Clemson. 315-437-7644 back after this on ESPN Radio.